Hi, I just got off a really interesting call with Anna Rex over at Remote Lab. We discussed everything uh, remote, hybrid, do's, don'ts, uh, research, findings, anything that could be applicable. We tried to break it down also kind of like using our own frameworks to what does it mean when engaging relevant candidates? How can it impact our assessment and selection of the right hire? And how do you maintain and control throughout the process? Um, it's going to be Pipe Labs episodes. Yeah, I thought the conversation was extremely interesting. Anna is an awesome person. If you don't know about her or remote labs, you owe it to yourself to give it a give it a listen. So, hi, um, welcome, Anna. Thank you. We met not all that long ago uh, at an event and we started chatting and quite soon it became apparent to me that we had a lot of commonalities. So I figured that we're going to sit down and have a conversation with you. Uh, I have a couple of topics that I really want to pick your brain at, but before we start with that, I don't think that any or as too many of our viewers know or listeners know who you are and maybe more interesting, at least in this context, what you do. So please, just give us an, a short introduction on, 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 your, on what you do. Sure. Uh, I'm so happy to be here, Pat. It's so nice to see you again. And yeah, I really had such a good time when I met you last time and we talked about a lot of interesting things. Uh, well, my name is Anna Rex and I work for something called the Remote Lab and we're based in the north of Sweden. Uh, and we're a knowledge hub that really we assess and we create knowledge around the future of work. So we try to really engage with all the research, research that's being done uh, in the, within the field of co-working and remote working uh, to see how that kind of moves forward as we're, you know, in the post-pandemic times. Uh, we started out uh, in August 2020, and you know where we were at the time. So suddenly uh, everybody knew what we were talking about, basically. So that's how we started, and we're trying to really delve into the knowledge part of what this is and how this phenomenon moves over time and how it works and how it affects organizations, individuals and societies. And then we turn around and we work as an advisor to companies and businesses within Sweden to really boil down to, okay, so what does this mean for our workforce and our people and our vision and what we're trying to do in a certain business, for instance. Um, so that's what I do. So I work as an analyst and I'm a behavioral scientist um, as in my training. So I love to kind of go in between the micro and macro systems of the world all the time. That's where I thrive. I hadn't heard about what you do or more or less like that, that the company existed, which of course it's quite new. But still, the, the work that you're doing is so exciting. Uh, I've had a lot of looks around on your webpage, and there's amazing resources that anybody can access, right? Yes. Uh, we do that as a part of our service, basically, because since we're involved in a lot of research projects, both uh, nationally and internationally, uh, we produce a lot of reports and we sometimes partner with different companies to help them produce reports about a certain topic. And everything we research or write ourselves, we publish for free on our website because we realize that there's a knowledge gap for the general society. So in order for us to make better, just better work climates with our clients, uh, it helps if they have read up beforehand. So, so plug your pluggables. Where do you go to if you want to access like the research and the papers that you produce? 
Oh, it's under research uh, under the tab on our webpage. Everything's there, and you just check in the. Oh, (laughs) the just remotelab.io. So you put it in the show notes later, Pat. Okay. I will put it in the show notes, but it's always good to be extra extra clear. Awesome. Yeah. So so remotelab.io. Yeah. Perfect. Um, So, one of the first topics that I would like to just discuss with you is that on on our end. we try to approach, or we try to, we approach all of our client needs and use uh, an exist, a framework that we put together to try to understand, like, what is it that is actually not working here? What happened during COVID, and especially what we're seeing now that a lot of companies are struggling with what they want to be, how they want to do, how they want to handle remote, hybrid, what is it, what is it not? That has a really huge impact on our end and our end of the framework that is about engaging relevant candidates. So, do you have any any insights or any any research you can point to? Like, what is the effect for a company or companies if they choose to go the the remote way of trying to attract talent? Mm. Well, there's a whole host of things playing into this. Um, let's start with productivity because that's was like in the early years uh, of remote work that was the whole thing like are we sure our employees are productive are they really going to do what they're told to do we need spyware to really see that, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing um, and now we've seen like study after study has confirmed that yeah we are super productive when we work remotely when we work from home uh, or from any other space it's not you know the, the office with all the colleagues but we have seen also a drawback that it's it's not really good for culture because over time individuals see like they feel more left out and there was this report just now out of i think it was Harvard Business Review that had an article that with all the tech layoffs that's happening now that people who work remotely are 32 32% more worried that they were going to be laid off uh, because they don't feel as connected to the company culture as people who are on site. So that's like the, the I think Lisette uh, Sutherland, who is a person who knows so much about working remotely. Uh, she said it really well um, when she said like, well, you work remotely, but you love in person. And I love that because like if you gather your people in an office, you have to have a purpose. That's like the whole thing that came out of the research as well. People need to know why they're in there. Like, why do we need to be here? What is the purpose of this meeting or the design of this workspace in order for us to be like, do our thing and actually build culture? Because then you also have to boil down to what is culture? Is this something we do? And what do we do? How do we do it? When do we do it? All of that stuff, like all of the things that you haven't really in a traditional work life had to um, measure out or had to be explicit mm-hmm. about because you just gathered people in an, in an office and whatever went on is work and whatever sort of jargon evolves, that's the culture and there's no purpose in the design. So now you really have to be purposeful with your people in a different way. Um, so I think like productivity is doing great. Culture is struggling yeah. because we haven't really nailed down the metrics of culture yet. Okay, so Anna... You were mentioning productivity and culture, mm-hmm. and we're going to speak more about culture because it's a really important aspect, of course. But I just want to remain on the topic of productivity for a short second. Uh, I believe that a lot of people are, in terms of remote work, there's one study quite recent that is top of mind. 
I think you, we both know that it's the Boston Consulting Group thing I'm speaking about that said more or less like remote workers are not productive or the drop in productivity is very, very big. Do we know that remote workers can maintain the same level of productivity as in-office or hybrid workers? Since the BCG study has not been made public, I can't really comment on their findings because nobody knows what they found in there and they have only communicated uh, their own conclusions of the material. So it's really hard to comment, but um, it would be interesting if they had actually found that the productivity drops because that would be counter to any other study that has been done the past three years in regards to remote work. So it seems, um, I, I mean, I would really want to dig into the method of what they have looked at or what sort of metrics they used and how they have measured this. Um, because since they haven't published it, it's hard to say. Um, I don't even know what they found. But it's, I think mm. it's, and I think the, the headlines that shocked Sweden for, I mean, in this instance, uh, is both the productivity, but mostly uh, that it built on the, the assumption that there's a consensus culture in Sweden and that's taking a beating since people are not in the office because people need to agree on things in a boardroom or whatever in a meeting room. Um, so, yeah, so I'm dying for them to, you know, release their numbers and release the data because I would love to see what's, what's there. Agreed. Um, so w the kind of conversations that we usually have in regards to this, because on our end, when it comes to engaging relevant candidates, of course, having the possibility of not being limited to a geographical space in terms of talent pool, but rather either fully remote where it doesn't matter or asynchronically or what it might be. That quite heavily impacts the kind of strategy that you can use to make sure that you're successful over time. But obviously, like that uh, study, or, or rather uh, the kind of headlines that they got after uh, announcing their own uh, findings, was that we can't go remote because it mm. will lead to a, to a drop of productivity. Mm. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that would be counter at least to the last three years of studies. Mm. And I mean, dating back to, I mean, Nick Bloom from Stanford did the, like one of the first studies on productivity when working remotely, and it came out in 2005. Uh, and he found a 9% increase in productivity for remote workers, uh, as opposed to those who are on, on, back in the office. So, and I think that's really has been a consistent result over time. So it's, it's a long body of research that's actually built up to this. But then again, you know, it also it comes down to what's your research question? How did you frame the design? What are you measuring? What kind of questions are you asking? Are people um, measuring their own productivity? Or do you have some sort of like outside metric that measures this? Uh, is it a, a case of clicks per second or, you know? It's there are too many unknowns to really say something. But the yeah. interesting thing was like the other just like a couple of days after these headlines splashed a group of people who know something about this, who actually researched in the field, uh, came out to really knock down on like what they had said. So it's 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 a, it's not really a case of he said, she said, but a little bit, you know, <laughs> I get it. Awesome. But um if we believe or we, we think that, okay, maybe productivity shouldn't be the hindrance of m moving into a more remote-based workforce, you were mentioning that culture is hard to keep in place if you're, that people have an easy time feeling disconnected to the mission vision. 
Do you have any like tips or concrete ideas on how you can start to counteract that feeling? Or is it just something we need to be aware of and then accept? Mm. No, I think there's a lot of things we can do, actually. And uh, there's a lot of examples of people getting it, doing a good job with this. Uh, there are there are quite a few remote first companies and totally remote companies who wouldn't even, you know, contemplate hiring for an office, but usually just hires remotely. But there are a few things that they do consistently that really work well. And like the first thing I would say is to be more explicit, like what I alluded to earlier, like the work design before was put everyone in this geographical location and shut the door for eight hours and whatever goes on that there is work. But now we're yeah. moving into a time where we have to be more explicit with the design. Like what do we actually do here? What sort of work goes into this and this and this role? Um, how does it build on each other? How does it measure up to whatever vision or mission we have within this field of business? What do we want to achieve? How do we communicate that to people? Are we explicit in our needs and wants for each individual or for this mission? Um, so it, explicity and really being clear about goals and boundaries and everything is the key. And when we go into to businesses to help them out to set their organization up in a better place to uh, hire remotely we usually go in for the information structures first that's the main thing like does everyone has have access to the things they need to have access to does that happen equally over the company or or are there any restrictions in place why are the why why are they there and there obviously there are some things that are classified or whatever that can't be open for everyone but baseline is i mean that should be that if it's not heavily classified then it's open for everyone i always have like the most favorite thing to ask companies that we interact with that call themselves transparent mm. then i ask the people in the room what their salary levels are <laughs> yeah that's a part of it sure do you get uncomfortable people in there <laughs> <laughs> all the time <laughs> but the thing is from from Uh, from our point of view, when it comes to recruitment, like that kind of transparency is something that is becoming more and more common. That you need to have that transparency in place before you even start the recruitment process. Mm. And when you when you do reach out, which is really common when it comes to sourcing candidates, it's been a given more or less that you can do that without having a really good idea about the comp and band situation for the role. And we're seeing a huge shift there. Where people go like. I might be interested in speaking to you, but I need to know what kind of salary levels I was speaking about before we move right. forward. And like right. having that pushback really early on. Mm. So of course it's 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 a bit of gotcha thing, just in a room without warning, asking people their salary levels, especially here in Sweden. You know how oh, yeah. guarded we are about that. Uh, sure. But it's also so extremely fundamental for more and more people these days. That if we're going to engage in discussing a new role, a new opportunity, you can't tell me that you have a ping pong table because I don't care. No, that's not the selling point anymore. I mean, that's no. not the big news. Uh, but I think it's really interesting because, I mean, there are a lot of things going on uh, within the field of work as just like how we structure and organize work in our businesses and in our government uh, agencies. But I think like a, a huge part of it is also self-knowledge. 
like we're creating a work life now that actually demands of the individual worker to know about themselves what sort of work do I prefer to do? How do I prefer to do it? Why, what are my preferences? Um, we, uh, when we spoke earlier, we touched on like how the negotiation force between the parties yeah. is evening out, and that's a part of it. Like I have to be able, as an you know, as an, as a candidate for a job, I need to be able to spell out like, well, I'm this sort of person. I re work really well between these hours, or I work really well under these conditions. If this and this happens, I'm not so good. I can't really be social all the time, but I love to do some social things. But you know. And it's we yeah. haven't been trained in that at all. I mean, go. I mean, from from the school system and up, it's sit down and shut up and learn, or just do whatever you're told. Uh, so it's it's really a big question of like reaching and of introspection of just looking inside, like yeah. what do I want to do, and and that feeling of actually being allowed to do that. Mm, definitely just slightly going into a different direction because there's something that you do that I find really fascinating and I want to touch upon it in this context. You do a lot of work with both private and public um, employees, right? Yep. Or employers, I should say. Do you see any difference in terms of readiness, uh, adap adaptability, willingness to change between them that you can categorize in either being public or, or private? Or is it it doesn't really depend if it's public or private because I think you know the preconceived notions about the uh, mm. the municipalities and the, the governmental agencies and things like that in Sweden that they are more resistant to change. Mm. Um, I would say, like, just through my own experience, I would say that the public organizations that we've worked with, they are really eager to change. They know that they need to do this. They are fully aware of the consequences and they are really well oriented um, where they need to go in order to be relevant for future employees. Uh, then they have like different sort of restraints, be it law, like laws and stuff that really interferes with how they're able to go forward or how fast. But it's really a question of pace, not uh, where they're allowed to go, not areas. Um, but then we've seen a lot of uh, private companies that are not so aware that they need to change. They, you know, they have this fleeting idea of, well, we should probably do that later, or some other people should be able to do that. Or, but it's they haven't. Just the eagerness of getting it done isn't really there. And then they have this, you know, complete freedom to do whatever. But then they don't really move at the pace that they they could. But I think it's it's it boils down to however, I mean, if you have an individual or a couple of individuals or a team that think that this is important and understand why and can advocate for within the organization. So you have to have like people who get it to to really start from from both the ones that you work with or, or other things that you see in the market. Do you think that there's one organization that everybody should look at and be like inspired of? on how they manage to afford that flexibility so you have the productivity but also being able to build that culture through being that having that level of clarity that you spoke about oh i wish i could just give you a bunch of names right now uh, i would love to do that uh, i think there are a bunch of companies that do this really well i think they change pretty much every week uh, so it's it's oh, a growing really? number oh, yeah so i think i mean it's really and i think a lot of them 
are doing really good things, but you know, you like you do it 90% right. And then you have 10% like, oh, can't really deal with that now or can't really fix it. Uh, and then that's the 10% that get all the attention. So I think right. a lot of companies are doing a lot of things right, but they forget to give themselves credit for it um, and build on the things that are already working because we're so also programmed to be problem solvers. So we're always looking for the problem to solve because, you know, that's what we put on our CV back in the day that we're really good problem solvers. And if we don't find any problems, you know, that's not good. Um, so I think we really need to, I think there are more companies doing this really well than we know. Okay, let me rephrase the question then. Uh, if I were to try to get either inspired or informed or educated on how to do it, where should I look? Well, I think you should look at the, the remote companies like the GitLab and those like Oyster, the big ones that are really doing it well, because that provides a sense like a framework um, of what's going to work. Um, and then you can dig into companies like even Netflix are doing it pretty well. Um, there are a bunch of other or DreamWorks or other companies that are doing certain things right and then you got to pick and choose and adapt to your organization uh, because there's no blueprints there's not going to be the one size fits all but you're going to have to look at structures and see like oh well this is relevant for us or we can do this in this way um, and I think it really boils down to getting inspired um, about how you structure work, how you organize it. I mean, uh, Linda Gratton, who's a professor at London Business School in management practice, I think it is. Uh, she came out with a book last year um, called Redesigning Work. And it kind of boils down to um, how to formulate your value proposition or the work that goes on within your company, within job families, and really taking a structured look at what's going on in there. Because when you know that, when you have that data, then you can decide, sort of decide like, oh, well, this is a good remote role, or this is a good thing to yeah. do. Uh, these roles actually have a relationship, and we didn't know that before because they have to talk to each other. So the, the, just the organizational chart isn't up to date at all. So there's a lot of homework to be done uh, within the own company. But sure, look at the big ones, get inspired and see what you can take from there. Awesome. Uh, I have a, I, like moving on in the way that, that we like to break down uh, recruitment TA. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, like assessing candidates, conducting interviews, those are, are still key aspects of any, any process. I've come across a couple of both companies and individuals that are expressing more and more doubt into how to do, conduct that remotely. Mm. Um, with what we're seeing, everything happening on the generative AI side, it could be, oh my God, are they Google chat GPTing the question, the coding question or whatever it might right. be? Or am I actually looking at a real individual? Or mm. are they doing something to manipulate their, their appearance or their voice or whatever it might be? Mm. Do you have any like just thoughts or, or ideas like the, the new kind of tech that we're seeing? Is that going to impact remote and not only in like the w way of, yeah, it's going to give us new tools for communicating and stuff like that, but rather like that sense of, is that a person on the other side of my primary interaction thing, which is a screen? 
Yeah, I think that's really an interesting question because it puts us in the realm of sci-fi, really. Um, because, yeah. I mean, the next natural question would be, is it a real person? And is it important that it is? So I think exactly. it's just really interesting, like how we can, because obviously for a lot of people, it's going to be, yeah, it's super important. I need to know this real person that I pay the salary or pay these benefits. Um, but how are you going to prove that? How are you like, am I paying someone to get a certain amount of work done and it's just irrelevant how they do it or is it relevant how they do it? Do I need to check that? Are there um, just like the constraints in place that it needs to be done a certain way or it isn't there? So boiling back to the job families, I'm going to harp on about that because I think it's a genius thing to to use to like a, just a chart to really look at your organization. Um, so I think this connects to another thing that happened pretty early on in the pandemic. I thought I think it was Goldman Sachs who went out and said, well, People are doing remote first and other companies are doing that. Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to do office first. Um, and that we realize that the value on a physical presence is higher than remote. So we're going to up our um, salary levels for our juniors coming in, which is just really interesting. Um, because I think, like to your point, maybe physical presence or making sure it's an actual person it's gonna barter some sort of value going forward i don't know what do you think in that particular case i think it's so interesting that they understood that it's a premium yeah that you have to pay to make sure to get people in office if that's your decision so be i mean yeah, sure. I, I don't have any preference on my own but understand that that might mean that you're gonna have to compete with something that other companies are offering so if you want to be able to hire the same talent, you maybe need to pay more. Yes. And that that is something that works out for you. And mm. on my end, I mean, that's fine. I don't have any, just because I prefer to work in a certain way doesn't mean that either my clients or the rest of the companies are going to do it. As long as you have that understanding that on the candidate's point of view, that's going to be another thing to put in the basket when you're evaluating your options. Yes. So you need to balance that out and find a way for you specifically to move forward and being able to be successful with the kind of targets that you have. Mm, for sure. And then, I mean, there's the aspect of the age of the employee. I mean, we see a lot of younger candidates, a lot of younger employees really benefiting from actually being in the office because they, they're building their networks, they're building their whole work identity and like building that platform whereas see more senior workers or more senior in their role, they have already done that. They, they don't need to go into yeah. the office as much because they're done. They have their friends, they have their network, they have all of their work acquaintances that they need to have. So it's not as important. It's nice, but it's not as important. It's not vital. 100%. And uh, just to like pick up a, an earlier thing, I, I totally agree on like, does it matter as an answer to that question? <laughs> because that was also, uh, we were speaking specifically about Okay, we're going to do a thing. We have these technical tests. Our, the designer of the test asked ChatGPT to answer it, and it was got like a 94% cor uh, correction rate. So wow. it, it was a really good solution. Mm. And he's like, does that mean that we're going to force them not to use ChatGPT? Right. Well, for most developers, as in this case, 
Googling solutions is like a key part of the job because no one knows everything. That's like one of the ways to solve the issue. Mm-hmm. So why should we test them but making sure that they don't use a tool set that seems really efficient in doing the exact thing that we want them to do in their day-to-day when they can use it. It's really like, it's just made the assessment part, I wouldn't call it harder, but it's once more when we can't just move forward with the same solutions that has been in place for quite some time because things change, Mm. it turns out. So either you figure out a new way or you do like Goldman did and go like, we're going to want it that way, but it has these consequences that we understand and we're willing to pay for it or wherever it might be. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I don't know if it matters, if it's a real person. I, I honestly don't. Exactly. I think that's, I mean, to your point, what are we testing? Are we testing yeah. a person's, you know, base understanding of uh, problem setting or like asking the right questions? Or are we testing the ability to solve a problem, not formulating the problem? Because then, obviously, you're going to Google that shit. So it's just so interesting to me that, like, because I was just um, remembering when you're in school and you're supposed to have a math test and you're not allowed to use a calculator because you're you're supposed to show that you can work it out by hand. So you're handed, you know, a number two pencil and an eraser and a blank paper. That's it. But you're never going to do that, like, in your work position or in your work role you're never going to do that longhand mm-hmm. you're going to use a calculator you're going to use whatever's at hand to solve the problem because this is just a small small thing in the grand scheme of things like you have to get something done like the whole project is not depending on this thing being worked out by hand so it's sure. it's a question also what what are we testing yeah and that is so fundamentally in like what we do when it comes to TA recruitment yeah and I, I, it's not like I have an answer, but I know that when I was forced to learn to do it by hand, I, we, I, I've done the same kind of test. I think I have better recallment of how to do that yeah. right this second yep. than the other ones where I was allowed to have a calculator. Exactly. Is that important? Maybe. I don't know. Mm. It but all for depends me, on the role. It's, it's, it all depends. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I, like the first time I went to uni, and I, if it was my first or second exam, when they were like, of course you can bring your book, I was like, but then I can read the answer. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. But we're we're not testing, testing your ability your to find thing. it. <laughs> we're not like asking you to recall a certain set of phrasing. That's not what we're doing. And my mind was absolutely blown. Mm. But so you mean I can have the book? Yes, yeah. you can have the book. But it's in there. I can just look it. And I had such a hard time like wrapping my mind around it. And mm. I think it's like uh, a certain analog to, to like what we're doing in recruitment. Like, does it matter? It varies. But that also puts so much more emphasis on our own ability to understand why we want to test the things that we're doing. Mm. If it's a case or if it's a coding issue or mm-hmm. just throughout the interview process. Like, why are we asking this? Why are we actually looking for this information or data is it because it makes us feel nice or is it Mm. important in relation to what we're trying to achieve and that's hard that connects back to what we were talking about earlier about really uh doubling down on what is it we do here what sort of work is produced here what do we need to do that 
Um, because if we don't know that, you know, really, really down in the nitty gritty detail, how do we know that we're testing for the right thing? Exactly. Uh, 100% agree. Mm. Um, the, the third part of, of our framework of, of like uh, the PipeLabs way of the PipeLabs framework is called control which is all about like process and cost control, KPIs, OKRs, uh, mapping responsibilities, just how in the organizations that we work with can we maintain control over this quite expensive and crit mission critical process. But when it comes to remote, that just the word control is so interesting for me and I'm sure like early on in the pandemic, okay, directly install software on everybody working from home where we can grab the screen or we measure the clicks or activities or whatever it might be so we know that they're working so we have that knowledge that control of them and how that was directly met with other software that faked the movement of the cursors or the pressing of the keys it's such a case of like show me a 10-foot wall i'll show you a 12-foot ladder exactly right do, so how do you think do you have any thoughts or or, or insights well, how do you satisfy that sense of control? Because if we assume that we can just make the managers not having that need to feel in control, or at least be knowledgeable about that we're doing mm. things, how can we do that in a way if we can't just put people in a room and watch them being there? Do you have any <laughs> thoughts? Well, I'm just going to um, bounce some ideas uh, off of you and see where it lands. Um, I think control, like you're describing it, uh, the old way of control, it ties back to what we were talking about, the imbalance in power. Uh, so it's not control, it's, it's control over. Whereas where we, where we are now, it's more control with, control over a process together with your employee rather than control over the employee itself. Um, so I think it's it's really interesting and it kind of also comes back to what we talked about earlier about being explicit. If the demands of a certain role are explicit, if you know exactly what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it and how you're supposed to report it, then you, you have th this expectation met because it's easier for a manager or a leader to see like, oh, well, you see, it's Friday and these things aren't done. So let's talk about what happened. But then you're also going to have to allow for people being people. And um, things happen and just have the this discussion about, you know, how does this work? If I don't meet whatever metrics we put in place, how do we do that? Or how can we be helpful? Yeah. Because it's not a... It's not a question of, you know, the manager catching you at missing something or catching you not doing what you're supposed to do because we're supposed to be a team. So if somebody's struggling, then how can I as a manager help out? How can I create a better just preconditions for this person to thrive? What's going on? I need to read up more about how I can do this. So I think that the old ways of talking about control are not going to be the new ways to do it because we're, we're, not, we're not going back to that. We're, we're fed up. We don't have any other area in our life where that would be okay. Do you have any friends that like you interact with who need to control that you're in a certain place at a certain time or like, oh, and, and, you, and you know, have that have people checking up on you? I mean, where would that be OK? I, I 
honest to God, hope I don't. If I do, <laughs> I'm unaware. It's just yeah, it's, it's a little 1984, right? Uh, I mean, if the government would check up on you like that. Well, we might be moving into that with a new chat legislation could, suggestion. Sure. So I'm going to leave that unsaid. <laughs> But uh, I mean, so scared, since, yeah. yeah, I mean, since both employees and employers are people, we should be better at talking to each other as people and not as, you know, over and under each other. Makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Anna, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to discuss these issues with you, or issues, rather, like... Ideas. <laughs> ideas, there we go. Uh, so thank you so much for, for this conversation. Uh, I really, really implore everyone to, to go check it out because you have some really interesting findings on your webpage uh, and ask for your resources. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for just letting me ramble on because I had a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Thank you.